Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. As a reminder, if you like listening to this podcast, and hopefully if you're listening to it, it's because you like it, uh, please subscribe to the feed if you haven't already. Um, and also please tell others about it and rate it and review it on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts, though it seems everybody seems to use iTunes. Um, on to today's show. As many people probably know, over the last decade or so, um, the whole idea of board games and card games have, I think, made something of a giant comeback. Um, I think some would probably argue that they never went out of style, but there's really been something of a renaissance in board and card games recently. Uh, and many people, I think, probably tie that back to the success of games like Settlers of Catan, um, which, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, but I, but I actually think that, that the newfound success may have more to do with the rise of the internet. Thanks to the internet, there's been a much greater ability for people to learn about games, but also to create new games themselves and to experiment with it and to share and, and even sell those games in some cases. These days, uh, if you look at Kickstarter, um, you can find dozens of different tabletop and card games available um, basically on, on any day. Uh, and while that alone is interesting, what is really interesting to me, at least, is the way that these games are becoming useful tools for storytelling or for explaining difficult concepts. And this isn't uh, necessarily a new thing either. There have been theme games for a while. And I remember back in the early 2000s, I actually got a card game called Burn Rate, which was all about Silicon Valley startups from the dot-com bubble. Um, I, and I can't remember what I did with that. It was, I remember it being kind of fun. I, I have to dig. It must be buried in a box somewhere, um, but it was a fun game. And just more recently, I backed another Silicon Valley-style game called Pitch Deck, uh, which was a pretty big success on Kickstarter. Um, and as we're recording, this hasn't been delivered yet, but I think the last update was, was it's close. It's on its way. I think it's been shipped or something. So we should see that soon. Um, but what's really interesting to me about this is that we're, we're entering this world in which the whole concept of storytelling is changing and shifting. You know, for obviously centuries, we've had books and plays for storytelling. And, you know, over the last century, movies and TV have been sort of you know, the, the key uh, mediums for, for storytelling. But we're suddenly facing a rapidly changing world uh, of storytelling in the digital realm. You know, video games, I think, have definitely led the way, often crafting fairly intricate interactive stories. But with the rise of virtual reality and augmented reality, I think that's increasing. And there's a, there are a lot of questions about sort of what storytelling in the future is going to look like. Um, we've already done some podcasts talking about augmented reality games like Pokemon Go, but I'm also interested in how the whole nature of storytelling itself is changing and the role that games are, are playing in that and how they're leading the way. 
So for today's podcast, to discuss this trend and what it means and what to do about it, I guess, we're happy to have Randy Lubin on the podcast with me, along with our usual co-host, Dennis Yang. Uh, Randy is a tech exec here in San Francisco, uh, but also an indie game designer who has created a number of different games under the studio name of Diegetic Games, uh, including another Silicon Valley game called Hackers and Hustlers. And I should note that I first met Randy after exploring the possibility of creating some games myself, uh, which came about after realizing that they could be an interesting way to create some discussions around some of the more complex topics that we frequently talk about here on TechDirt. Um, though I haven't actually had the time to really focus in on developing those ideas, um, just discussing them with Randy has been a really uh, useful part of that process. So Randy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so let's talk about first sort of what, what drew you into gaming in the first place. How did, how did you become uh, so interested in, in this topic? Well, I mean, like many people my age, I grew up playing video games. But when I moved to San Francisco after school, I really got into board games. And I think it probably started with Catan, like most people. It's Everybody, been, yeah. It's a great gateway game. But uh, quickly discovered all the amazing games beyond that. And, um, and Catan is from the, the European scene where... Right. There, uh, if you've heard the term Euro game, there are a few things that come along with that that are really nice from the design side. So usually yeah. players aren't eliminated. There might be some uh, intrinsic ways that things self-balance so uh -huh. that if one person gets a runaway lead, it doesn't keep compounding like in Monopoly. <laughs> um, and, uh, so is and, that a, an American attribute of a game? <laughs> yeah. We so like to step on you after we're winning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the American games tend to be also a lot more cutthroat where you're, you're directly competing against each other versus uh, in some of the European games, it's almost like parallel solitaire. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, for a while, the, the American games were deeply thematic and, and deeply competitive. Mm -hmm. And then on the European side, you had these beautiful um, mechanics that, that really encouraged a lot of uh, more friendly play. And then over the past, you know, maybe decade or so, there's been a lot of mixing between the two, where you get these really interesting thematic games right. that ha might have some competitive, more competitive elements, but uh, have a lot of things that are more friendly about them than Monopoly. Or after a game of Monopoly, there are very few people who say, "Oh, let's play another game of Monopoly." After Catan, a lot of people <laughs> right. said, "This is great. I'm going to go out and get my own copy. I'm going to play it with my friends." Although the one I remember, of course, is it was Risk, uh, which somebody had explained to me like no group of people has ever played Risk and like remained friendly <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> just because the whole nature of that game is to screw over the other players at yeah. some point, like after you've really, yeah. really committed. To <laughs> I mean, that, that's interesting. I, guess I haven't really thought about the games ecosystem as, as like kind of what you were described. Um, we at our office play Coup a lot, um, which I guess I would classify as like a whole genre of games, werewolf and uh -huh. mafia, um, that my wife calls uh, lying games. Yeah. Social deception games. Yeah, yeah. so where, where did those, do you know where those came from? Or like, like where would you put those in that kind of roadmap? So I'm not sure if it cleanly fits in one or the other. It's probably okay. closest to the American style in that it's it's cutthroat and... Social Social deception games are... It, it just feels like this whole group of games that are just encouraging people to learn how to lie to each other. <laughs> Definitely, which is, I mean, I guess the skill of knowing when you're being lied to is really valuable. Right, but but, but lying convincingly, maybe maybe less. A little bit less so. And I think that all came out of the classic game of Mafia or Werewolf, which right. I think originated in Russia. Oh, really? Um, played in universities See, there. there. So there you, have, you have the European, you know, German games, the American games, and the Russian games. Right. And then, so uh, there's also been a rise of 
of like the more cooperative games lately also and i know that that we've spoken about those like there's games like pandemic or mm-hmm. um, pandemic's awesome um, there's like a code breakers or code i don't know that one yeah that one's that one's pretty fun it's really cooperative as well yeah, there, there's been a huge rise of either purely cooperative games or sort of hybrid cooperative competitive where you're either on a team or everyone's on the same team and there's one right. trader. But you're still Hanabi, there's Hanabi with a, the firework. Uh, Jap- that's Japanese, right? So yeah, or well, is the, it actually Japanese or it's just it's Japanese? no, it's it's from Japan. Yeah, it's great. Uh, well, there, there's an older game too that I remember that I had as a kid, which was uh, Scotland Yard, which was sort of like that, where it's basically like four you're, or five players together. against one. Yeah. So there is, you know, it's it's partly cooperative, but there is, you know, there is an other. But a lot of like like games like Pandemic are basically like the players versus the game, right? It's right. like the game is the You're working is, together to cure the world from right. something. And yeah. and the game just sort of keeps driving the 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 evil the death forward, yes, yes. literally. And there, there's an interesting tension in those games um, around what's often called the quarterbacking problem of uh-huh. the, the yeah. one player who's best at the game, who's played it a bunch. They think they're the best. They think they're the best, and then they try and dictate the moves for all the other players. Right. And, and so game designers often struggle to say, okay, how do I how do I design a system that's resilient to that? And so it could be that there's hidden information. So in Hanabi, right. everyone gets to see which cards you have except for you. So you can't quarterback it because you don't have complete information. Right. Um, and you're limiting the communication that you can say. And then there are other games that um, just dump on so much information or so much complexity that nobody can hold it in their brain at the same time. So there's a game called uh, Space Alert. Mm-hmm. So great cooperative game, takes place in 10 minutes of real time uh, while there's an audio track going. You're the crew of a spaceship and there are threats that are incoming right. and you're trying to figure out what you do, but there's just so much going on that nobody can hold it into their brain or dictate what's happening. So you have to trust each other and you have to learn huh. to work together. Interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, I have I, to write all these down. We'll we'll put all these in the blog post <laughs> so we can get these for the office. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it's interesting to me to see all of these different like mechanisms being developed, and and you know there there was a point um, about a year ago where like my wife saw all these games were on sale, and and then she bought them all. <laughs> yeah, basically every, every possible board game. <laughs> we had this huge stack where we were like opening up a new board game every week. Uh, and and sort of playing around with it, and and what impressed me was like how more advanced the mechanisms have gotten, and sort of how creative. It's not just a popomatic bubble, <laughs> right, right? Come on, the dice and popomatic <laughs> bubbles, or, uh, or or things like that. Like the people have gotten really, really creative in the mechanisms to really sort of simulate sort of all different kinds yeah. of you know, real-world situations. Yeah, my favorite example on that front is a game called A Distant Plane, which is uh-huh. it's part of a broader series called Coin for uh, Counterinsurgency. And these are, you know, deeply complex games that do a phenomenal job of simulating uh, the realities that they're mapped to. So A Distant Plane is about the uh, second war in Afghanistan. And uh, so there's four players. Uh, so it's a leisurely light. light oh, it, you're in for an intense night, so not just from mechanics. Shoots but, and ladders or <laughs> decent plane. Which one do you want to play? <laughs> and so in this case, you have slightly different rules and options available to you, whether you're the, the U.S.-led coalition, the uh, Afghan government, the warlords, or the Taliban. Hmm. And all those factions are set up to have sort of quasi-alliances or aligned interests with some of the other parties, but not in necessarily symmetric ways. Right. Uh, and so, it and the, the incentives were, and the way everything structured was just so great. When, when I played it, I was playing as the, the coalition, and my win conditions were just withdrawing the troops as fast as possible and having stability. And so I was, I was sort of committed to the war until there was a point where I was like, okay, cool, I'm just going to do the mission accomplished thing and withdraw all my troops. <laughs> and, every, we, like, we, and I think that, that triggered the victory, and then we kind of looked up and were like, Oh yeah, this makes a ton of sense now. I know I have a lot of empathy with how this has gone wrong. 
so I mean, I guess this kind of speaks to what you're yeah, saying about that, storytelling, that exactly into like storytelling and theme, and and that game sounds like it had a does it have a viewpoint, right? Uh, I think so. There's, I came away with it with it having a really clear viewpoint, but it was more like right. understand the incentives that are embedded in these systems, and you understand the outcomes that we get. I see, and that, that's a lot more complicated. I think one game that I loved playing when I was growing up was Axis and Allies, um, which was a World War II. It was basically Risk, yeah. but crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, it took like five hours to set up, and then you were tired. To, to, by that time, you were tired of playing. But I guess what ended up happening every time we played was essentially like you just kind of followed what history did. Um, and it actually echoed, like, you know, Germany cruises all the way through through Russia. If Russian can hang on as long as, basically, if everyone, if everyone can hang on as long as they can until the U.S. comes in, then the U.S. wins. Otherwise, <laughs> they don't. Otherwise, the, the Axis wins, which is kind of like, it felt like a lesson. They designed the game to teach a story, right? Right, that that's specific were, story. And then with this, with the, the plane game. A distant plane. A yeah. distant plane, like, I guess, do they really set up something such that, like, it's a story there, or... They have a viewpoint, or yeah. I, I definitely, definitely think that's the case, and the the designers have given talks uh, to that effect too. Of all right. the research they've done in advance, and and how they've directly aligned aligned those incentives, uh, so I that when the player is playing optimally, they are play, basically playing out this narrative and and having all the the tough side effects that would normally come out of that. And the, and the lesson is kind of how tenuous the situation was, and like. Right, right, and and why some of these partners have heavy incentives to, to do act things. not in your interest, yeah. Right, and I think that's that's part of what I found most interesting, and why I thought it, it's sort of a, a useful tool for different kinds of storytelling, where you're discussing especially complex subjects where there are all sorts of trade-offs, and it's very easy for people on the outside to look in and say, "Oh, this is black and white." Well, obviously, you should right. do X or or Y. Once you actually put in those mechanisms and obviously it's a it's a model of the real world but you can actually demonstrate those trade-offs in a very real way where okay i'm trying to win this game or succeed or not die in the game whatever it might be um and you actually experience the 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 very direct trade-offs it begins to give you a sense of how decisions sometimes happen in the real world that you might disagree with but you can begin to understand why they were made for reasons other than like well that person's evil right is is there is does randomness play into that game or um was there not any i mean there are some games that have no randomness in them which i find really interesting yeah i'm I'm trying to remember now and i think the main set of randomness in that game is the a deck that you're drawing from that gives you Mm -hmm. certain options so you can take certain special events or other tactics there's some sense of kind of randomness that plays into it just a little bit but there's still tons of skill and tons of just again rolling into those incentives that that are given to you Right. right are there different like strategies you can do if you if you have your own, if your own agenda I, i'm not enough of an expert okay. in those style games to, to give you a good answer okay. interesting but so so to take this a step further and, and begin to think about like how does this play into into storytelling um and and sort of you know getting people to understand these ideas beyond that you know i think there's now definitely an effort where people are sort of trying to understand what can be done with with VR and and AR, right? And and those things exist, but everyone's sort of like casting about, saying like they know that there's there's some sort of killer app or killer you know system in there, but so far it's like you know you can sort of step into a movie or whatever. But how interesting is that? And so I'm kind of curious to see. I mean, do you have an opinion on on how like all this explosion and different sort of you know board game mechanisms might then flow into into the digital world? 
Definitely. And I think some of it will come directly from board games, and mm-hmm. others will come from the RPG tabletop storytelling space. Mm-hmm. And then there's this third category of uh, interactive theater, which is becoming mm-hmm. increasingly popular. And I think all three schools, so the, the storytelling tabletop games, the uh, interactive theater, and augmented reality, virtual reality, have a lot they can learn from each other. And I haven't seen the scenes communicating a ton across, you know, between the boundaries that much. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk at length about sort of all the different categories and how they, sure, how they bridge. Go, go, talk yeah, at length. Yeah. So, so, one, so I guess one, one first thing to call out is there's an interesting tension um, with how much agency you give the players and or audience, uh, depending on the case, and the, the tightness of the story that you're trying to tell. And so if you have a really opinionated, specific story, you might want to give very limited agency. Right. And whether that's a, an augmented reality, virtual reality um, experience where you're just controlling sort of the camera and the story's unfolding around you, or it's a board game where the rules are so strictly written that to do anything other than what's optimal is going to leave you far behind. Right. I mean, I'm thinking like, and this is an old, very old game at this point, very, well, extremely old, but like like Mist, like the original Mist, which was like, you know, a big hit video game, right? But you you were even though it felt like you were in this big open world you were very very limited right and they've since released one that you know the 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 the, the updated version where you can actually like wander around and do more and miss but you know mist was a sort of directed um you know puzzle story uh within within a, a world but you know where where you had limited choices to sort of force you into the Right. So as, as creator, you can be really confident that the person who's playing it will get the experience that you want. Right. But it's limiting in that you, you can't, there's no room for emergence there for people right. to tell the best story for them. Uh, and that's where, you know, depending on what medium you're working in, there are a lot of different options available. So if you're playing a tabletop RPG, whether it's something traditional like Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. or there's plenty of very, very cool, more modern storytelling games, because you're making it up at the table, there's plenty of room for emergence. Are you saying right. Dungeons and Dragons is not modern? Uh, well, they they've continued to evolve. There's a new edition that came out a couple of years ago, but the I haven't I haven't played the new ones. So the, the last time I played Dungeons and Dragons was probably thirty years ago. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably around there too. So well, without commenting on Dungeons and Dragons, there are so many wonderful uh, indie games that have come out that tar- that tackle all they, sorts of cool topics. Are they role-playing, like, in the same way that, that D&D was RP, like, role-playing? Yeah, so, uh, and to that end, like, you're, you can be spending all of your time in character or most of your time in character. Yeah. Uh, or some are very little time in character or none, but it's more about the world-building. So there's a, a game called Microscope that's really interesting where you're fractally creating a timeline okay. and, uh, and jumping back and forth, and you're really just building up this world uh, and the history of this world. Hmm. Or uh, there's a game I love. Uh, it's called Dialect. Uh, it had a, a massive Kickstarter last year. Mm-hmm. And it's about creating a new language. Or so it's about analyzing how languages uh, grow and then die right. through, hmm. through the perspective of a community that has isolated itself. No, that's interesting. That, that reminds I mean, this, this, the, this tabletop space seems really, I guess, related to the indie video game space as well, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure there, there are connections back and forth there. I mean, like what... like. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but like, why would I focus on a tabletop game versus a video game? And like, are there, are there, do you see particular advantages to either or both? Or and, and then for VR, for that matter. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so I think the best thing about tabletop games yeah. are the fact that you're actually with your friends around a table. I think it's right. part of the same thing powering <laughs> the board game renaissance is that people are so, spending so much time you know, on their laptops and their computers right. that it's so refreshing to be 
together again with friends and telling stories. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll see more video games that enable flexible storytelling. Uh, but for now, I mean, the, the complete freedom of what you can do at a table or the, the slightly mediated freedom mediated by either the rules or if there's a, a game master, dungeon master running the game. Right. Uh, it's just, it's so liberating in terms of telling exactly the type of story that you want. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we, we play here at the office every, every day at lunch. So it definitely has, I think, pulled the company closer together. Um, and that's that, that social aspect is kind of why... Like I enjoyed playing that game. It's also kind of a you know, coup. Coup is actually kind of an interesting game to think about and and strategize strategize around. But the game and dynamic aside, I'm not. I have it on my phone. I can play it with random strangers, but I don't. Right. So. Right. It's very different. Yeah. There's something different, and, and I, for some reason, like I think that I it, it just and this may be just like a, a gut sense. Like it feels like the more interesting things that will come out in the the VR AR world, I feel like will come more out of the tabletop board gaming world than than like connecting out of the, with humans the video game yeah because i mean obviously there are lots of video games where you have multiplayer setups but it it feels different uh, i can't but i can't but I quite put if, my finger on I mean, why so for in the video game realm uh, multiplayer first person shooters i feel like i wonder if those are popular because the ais are not Good, are not good enough or, or sometimes too good, right? So it's hard to make them feel human, right? Hmm. Um, like I, I play a lot of StarCraft, um, and I enjoy that. I don't like playing against the computer because I like... Because it's how, too easy I mean, to actually, do? I actually don't... I mean, actually, I don't know if it's real humans I'm playing with, but it feels that way, <laughs> right? Um, and they make mistakes, and in in the same way that I can exploit, like, in, or and I, make, and I make mistakes, and of course you can chat, but that's not really... <laughs> why I think I play with humans, um, but I feel that feel like there is that kind of humanness that's hard to replicate. Um, so I do agree. I, I do agree with you that it feels like that humanness needs to be maintained and would be really popular in the VR realm, right? Yeah. Something also I'll call out on that dimension: a lot of the multiplayer games, or just video games in general, when you're playing it, there might be an interesting emergent story of you know, oh, I was you know really falling really far behind, and then you know I saw this mistake that my opponent had made, and you know I capitalized on it, and I ended up winning, and that's. Yeah. That's a gripping story, but it's not not a story in the way that many you know movies or um, or plays or you know can can grip you and tell a story. Sure. And and that's where I think from whether it's storytelling games at the table mm-hmm. or live action games or LARPs away from the table or again uh, interactive theater. There's so much to be mined there that can be brought into VR. Because again, the the amazing thing about VR is that you're embodied and it invites you to really be that person, not just gaming a system, optimizing a system to get points or to win, but to empathize with, you know, whatever role you're cast into. Interesting. Um, yeah. Huh, I guess I would maybe, so like Settlers, I don't really know what the story is, right? <laughs> um, same thing with Coup. I guess Werewolf, I kind of know what the story is. But is it more, is this, like how important is the story versus the actual, like I'm, I guess, an opt- I'm, I'm an and I have an engineering mind, so I like optimizing things, right? So I'm constantly looking. Like, I love poker because I love trying to figure out, like, you know, what the optimal strategy at what point is to do. Um, love playing, you know, Settler. All these games I kind of approach as optimization problems. If you were to remove the story from those games, I, for me, it might be okay, right? Um, yeah, I think it probably depends a lot on the players. Yeah. And, I mean, some of the, the most famous classic games of all time, chess, Go, they're abstract games. Right. Right. Uh, 
but in terms of, of roping in a bunch of friends and bringing them to the table, and then also possibly having those emergent narratives, I see. it really helps to have the theme. So e- even in Catan, when there's only like a pretty thin veneer of theme, like you're, you're settling an island, uh, it's nice right. to have that theme because suddenly, you know, even if it you're... it grounds it. Right? It grounds it. it. Yeah. And if you're not... It also allows you to tell other overarching stories. So even if you're falling behind, you might be able to say, oh, yeah, but look at this you know, beautiful, dense network of cities and towns that I've built. Or it's, it's a little extra to hook onto. Yeah, I think, and I, I think it can definitely contribute to it. I mean, you know, one of the games that I'm semi-obsessed with um, is uh, another game by the same guy who did Pandemic, which is uh, Forbidden Island, um, which very much has a, a theme to it, which is you're on an island what, that's... What is it? Uh, it's it's a it's a cooperative game, um, and, and in some ways has some of the similar mechanisms as Pandemic. But you're basically you're you're on an island that has treasures, and it's you know however many players, and you're trying to get around the island and, and get the treasures and get off the island. But the island is sinking because um, the island doesn't want you on there. Right. And so like different things happen, and you know different players have different skills or different capabilities, and basically the closer you get to actually getting all the treasures the the worse and worse <laughs> the island yeah. is sinking and and it's like i mean i played it a bunch and and it's really intense and even though you're just sitting around a table with cards and and you know little cardboard is it uh, like a hourglass or something or? no it's there's no there's no official time base to it it's yeah. just the game itself is constantly like as you do certain things it the water the water rises as the game says and and yeah. And it just like it's like, oh, like it's really it's really sometimes. intense. Yeah, it's like like when when I finish a game, like I'm worn out. Like I'm I'm exhausted by the game, even though you're just sort of sitting around a table playing relaxing it. night with a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's but it's it's pretty intense. And so I think like a good story as part of the game, you know, it it really flows through, and and you feel it, and you're sort of like you know when you're playing that game, you really feel like. Oh my gosh! Like that part of the island is sinking, and it, you have this sort of Indiana Jones, you know, like. Well, I like, guess I, I guess that makes that makes sense. If if you made up some new reality and you had to explain to me like this whole new word, this concept of sinking, all you have to say uh-huh. is sinking, and then I know, what <laughs> I know what that feeling is like. Right. You don't have to make up a concept and make me care. Right. Right. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and I think you end up telling stories about uh, those games, those close calls, those, right. those near near victories or misses, much more than you would about a game of chess, because you don't have the the fiction to latch onto and and get excited about potentially. Yeah, yeah, I could see that, but I yeah, I don't know why. Like, um, yeah, I mean, nobody tells a story about chess, right? Because I mean, but chess even has more story than like I don't know. I'm sure there's like Go is pretty, pretty. Bland, not story-wise yes. bland, right? So, but even so, there's stories. There's like you're attacking. Sure. Right? Like there's still story there. Um, I guess yeah. What, what's like the least story-based fun game or like heads and flipping well, a coin or something? Poker, like right? Poker has almost no story around it. No, but, but mean, it can be we, gripping coming out of it. I would say poker. Like you think about all the terms that all all of the jargon that surrounds poker at, at kind of attaches stories to the game, right? So. Um, you know, like, you know, I guess all, all the terms like cowboys for kings and, um, you know, AK being Anna Kornikova. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty, but she doesn't win. <laughs> I had never heard that, but okay. Yeah. Like, you know, like naming like this hands like the, the wheel, there's Broadway, there's, you know, like Third Street. There's all sorts of things. I guess you're right. Like we are attaching narrative and story to what should be a very statistical 
Yeah, and it's a superhuman thing of just weaving stories out of things around us, trying to make sense of systems by attaching stories to them. But it does feel like, I mean, and maybe this is just sort of the uh, historical, the way history works, like more modern games seem to be more story-based or, or have, the, you know, like we may build up stories around games sure. in the same way that like yeah, kid, kids 200 years ago, you know, turned a stick into a toy. You know? stick, <laughs> stick, you know, stick and wheel, stick and whatever, right. hoop and stick, right? Right, but but right today, like people don't do that, even though like kids would be perfectly fine because they would in their minds build a story around it. I was it. very excited when we went to Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> and you got to, to play with the hoop, hoop and, and stick. stick. Yeah. <laughs> I was really excited about that thing. And then I got it home and I was like, this is not great. I mean, we still in a situation <laughs> where it's like, you know, when, when we get a package at the house, my kids are more excited by the cardboard box than whatever's in the actual I mean, that, package. That's pretty timeless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but 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 that's because they build stories around it, you know? And so I think people naturally do that. So I do actually, that leads me down a completely different path, which is kind of interesting, which is, you know, whether or not we're putting too much story into these games and we're sort of robbing the imagination aspect yeah. of, of people playing it. Well, something that's been, I've had a really fun time engaging with as I've gotten more to designing the storytelling games and, and even uh, playing and designing LARPs, I've gotten to playtest it with folks who are not heavy gamers or not, right. not storytelling gamers. And it's been incredible to see sort of the light go on. They're like, oh, any, any idea I come up with, any direction we can go in, we can go in that direction. Unlike, you know, even if they've been playing video games where things are fairly scripted, the, you know, the options available to them are fairly limited, they're like, oh, anything, and you'll find a way to roll with it? Awesome. Right. And that's part of it. I think the other part is the incredible ability for anyone, even someone who doesn't think of themselves as being super creative, to just create cool connections between things and and remix ideas and bend them back in on themselves. So a lot of these games that are more world-building games, where you might throw out a few disparate elements, people who, again, are, wouldn't, wouldn't consider themselves gamers, don't play a lot, are definitely wouldn't consider themselves improvisers, quickly latch on and keep bring, reusing concepts. Uh, what, whether what would be an example of like a world-building like dynamic that would illustrate that? Yeah, so I mentioned a game Microscope earlier, which uh, where you're building a timeline. And so in there, you might, uh, you know, early on in the timeline, create a new uh, cult. Yeah. And, and later in the timeline, there might be some calamity that happens, and a player might go, oh, of course, it was the cult that caused the calamity. And is, and is cult, the concept of cult exist in the game already, or do you bring that into the game from any from nowhere. In that case, it would be bringing it in from nowhere. Okay. But uh, plenty of games have more scaffolding. So there's there's a huge spectrum out there of having almost no scaffolding, where it feels mm -hmm. more like an improv exercise, right, to right. to having lots of scaffolding. And often oftentimes, the more focused you want to have a game be on a specific genre, a certain feel, you add more scaffolding. Uh, and so right, so so there could have been easily a version I of the see. same game where you had a, a list of organizations, a list of critical types of events to help players who are uh, less creative or bring fewer references, so that they can you know immediately start generating ideas. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, because I guess ultimately real life has not that much. Well, I guess in some <laughs> places there's lots of scaffolding, and in some right. places there's not. Right, so. Yeah, it's we're it's, teaching real skills here through play. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I. I I wonder. Um, I, I'm. I sort of. I, I was going down one train of thought, and you guys went in a completely different direction. So I'm <laughs> like trying to to, to a new train. Well, no, no, no. no. It, it's it. It's interesting to sort of see, you know, all of these different games all happening at once. And 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 you know, one of the things that I mentioned in the in the intro that is worth exploring too is just the fact, and you sort of got into this in what you were just saying that. 
you know, it's so easy now for people to create new games and to experiment with new games. We have this explosion, the ability of, yeah. you know, independent, de you know, game developers to exist, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a, a new thing for the most part. You know, you may have had some sort of startup gamers come about, but now you actually have, you know, the ability of just for fun or throw it up on Kickstarter and see if anyone actually cares, you know, um, that people are able to experiment and and and, I, you, and you don't need that many people to care right right like the cost of production have come down significantly such that you know you get a few i mean you have companies that yeah. are designed to basically help independent game makers develop yeah. or, or there's even like kits i mean i think you had sent me a, an example of like a kit you know if you want to build your own games it has all these different like little pieces and dice and and you know blank cards and blank and a, discs and, a and bubble i don't know if there's <laughs> no, no bubble but. yet <laughs> You can steal, steal that from, from okay. your, your trouble game. <laughs> yeah. On the board game side, it's incredible because you can get those components for next to nothing. If you're prototyping, you can go to a like little art hobby shop and grab yeah. lots of little sequins and pins and wh or whatever you want just to use. As long as I can be the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, I, and I think it's, you know, I, and I think it's really interesting. And, and as you start to explore this world, and, and I know you know, in, in talking to you about different game ideas and you kept suggesting to me like, oh, have you heard about this game? Check out this game, check out that game. And all these like, you know, what some would, it's almost amazing how like narrowly focused someone has come up with a game. They really want to discuss, you know, you know, a particular, you know, very niche, you know, topic, but it's a way to actually demonstrate and tell that story and have that discussion. Um, and which, which was the one that, that you showed me it was the last item on the agenda? Right? Yeah, yeah. So which this is, it just won an award this past year, and the it, game is called Last Item on the Agenda. Yeah, yeah. And so the the framing. So this is a um, it's either a RPG or freeform LARP, depending on how you want to define it. And you are all workers at a. Um, let's see if I can frame this correctly. I'm trying. So I think you're you're working on an institution where there are folks with mental disabilities who are living there full time. You're so you're the coworkers. You're having a staff meeting, and the last item on the agenda is to hammer out the a series of of questions and policies around um, can the the folks who are under your care have sexual relations with each other, um, <laughs> under what circumstances, and yeah. it's like it's a super awkward topic but I mean it's clear that there are these institutions all over the world that like actually right. have to answer these questions and yeah going going through this uh, through the game like you really get an appreciation for like these really tough trade-offs and you think you come up with a clear answer and then there's a scenario that is like at the very edge of that where yeah yeah so if you were to win this game can you take these policies and implement them is that what <laughs> I, I mean I love the idea of like designing games in general to be policy arguments right. uh, or, or designing a, a game space or context in which you can make policy arguments and see if they succeed or fail and use that as a way of learning and playing right, right. yeah I mean you, you know in the sort of um, you know national security world you have things like you know red team testing or like you know where you or war games right. effectively right. like i mean that's always existed right but but there's the potential to expand that into a lot of different areas beyond yeah. beyond you know war games or or you know penetration I mean, is, testing isn't kind or, of that what you mentioned the pitch deck game of some sort right like it sounds like or these like Silicon Valley type games. The, the are they teaching people the right skills? Yeah, pitch deck. I think is teaching people the wrong. Skills. <laughs> it's it's more of a fun game, right? It's it's basically like I, I and I. This is just from the Kickstarter video, so I don't know the exact details. But basically, like yeah. you get a, a you're supposed to do a pitch 
for a this meets that. So, you know, you get like two cards and it'll be like, and it, like you know, like creates your, your pets.com meets Uber and right. you have to, and then you have to pitch that. And then whoever's most convincing gets points and, and something to that effect. And is it like more like a cards versus cards against humanity type dynamic? Like yeah, it's, it's, or? yeah, it's, it's more of that sort of okay. open dynamic and that actually, but that brings up like cards against humanity is a game that we haven't mentioned and is like, became a super super popular massive success yeah how um, would you classify that oof well I, I mean in terms of like local subgroup it's definitely under party game okay. um which is kind of its own own thing i i mean it, it is a tremendous success i don't think <laughs> it has the strongest in terms of the, the game design for it i think it's people enjoy it well to get back to what i was saying earlier they you know it allows you to draw make connections between different things in funny ways which again is right. innately human experience um i think the, the downside with cards against humanity is it often just becomes like a, a fig leaf to be sure. racist or sexist or right, whatever right, it might right. be um <laughs> that's a funny way to put it yeah but but it, be, it you know it, it gets people creating engaged in games people who maybe haven't engaged in games for a while and for that it's right. it's excellent so it uh, just sort of like right. Catanic can serve as a game way. we played recently here I, I forget what it was called but it was basically we were given like this cool illustration and you would tell a story about it dicks it Yes, Dixit. Yeah, um, and that felt like the cards against so humanity. So what, what, what is dynamic. it? I don't know this game. Uh, so you you basically given a, a, a you know you have a, a deck of cards, um, and in a similar way of cards against humanity, you, everyone puts the cards in the middle, and then someone says like a story, like uh, you know apples fall from mountains or something, and then okay. you try and guess amongst the cards that were laid out who. Um, who actually made the story, or who, who who chose the story, or something? It's been a little while since I've played yeah. Dixit. I think you're, yeah, you're basically trying to tell a story that is super evocative of right. the card. The card, but if everyone picks you, you lose, and if nobody picks you, you lose. So, so you can't be too precise. You can't be like exactly this. So, <laughs> so in that in that way, it kind of felt like the Cards Against Humanity dynamic, where uh-huh. knowing the people with which you're playing helps. Uh, helps, right? So you're like, right. oh, you know, if I say this thing, I know, like. Mike will pick up on it, and he'll he'll pick my card, right? Um, but I know so 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 that in in that dynamic, like party game, knowing your knowing your friends, felt very similar without the the yeah the the fig leaf racist <laughs> um, or inappropriate basically yeah. To uh, to bring the conversation back to some of the ways that games can either help bring empathy or understanding about systems, right. I can share some of the more powerful experiences that yeah, I've yeah. had. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, get it, so it's only been about a year and a half since I've started experimenting with LARP or the more fr- what's sometimes called freeform games. Um, one of the most powerful experiences I had was in a game called The Line, which is about refugee crises. Oh, okay. I think I've heard about this, or maybe you. We may it have to discussed me. it. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. So it's not out yet. Hopefully, it will be out soon. It's by Jason Morningstar. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's set in in a fictional you know colony in space, uh, but it maps very closely to the refugee crises that we're seeing around the world today. Right. Uh, in, in that case, there were ten of us who were players, and there was one facilitator who was playing a facilitator was playing a bureaucrat who could hand out refugee visas, right. and the rest of us were trapped in this war zone. And, uh, and the you, story is like off planet, so it's not trying to like pollute almost with what with our our preconceptions of what refugees should be or uh, not really i think okay. it was more just changing the proper nouns to okay. to give us a little more freedom and not feel like we're tied to what we might be bringing to the table right. about the current crises got it, got it. Okay. Uh, so in this case so the, the 10 of us were all um folks who were applying for refugee status 
uh, and we had different either religious backgrounds or ethnic backgrounds, mm-hmm. and uh, and those were loosely correlated, but there were definitely exceptions to the rule. Right. And we were going through this really harsh bureaucratic process. So when we <laughs> we entered, sounds like a blast. It was, it was one of these. There are these games that are like on the face of them, they don't look fun, but they're right. like such incredible experiences to play. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in this case, makers of Department of so in this case we, so we walk in the room as soon as you walk in the room you're in character yeah. uh, there's a, a narrow part of the room that we were actually allowed to be in or we were going to get thrown out of the game yeah. uh, there were these posters up on the wall that uh, Jason had taken actual flyers and posters that were used by I think by the UN and wow. by uh, EU countries huh. um, and they were the most alienating text he basically did a, a find replace on all the proper nouns and it was just like super harsh about like okay if you're seeking asylum you can't do this you you know if you have family it. you can't do that a real <sighs> yeah and then um there are pamphlets um on the table when we came in about the instructions we we're supposed to follow as we were applying for refugee status and most of them were not in english and so so we were there and like people were yeah, first sort of hoarding the ones that were in English and then, you know, then sharing with people from the same background as them. And then we know, you know, sort of by the end of the game in Bond, we're all in this together. Like we're all going huh. through the same horrible alienating thing. And, and then one by one, we'd be sort of picked off to go talk with the, the bureaucrat and come back. And, you know, some people would immediately be told they were given, you know, the ability to leave. You know, they, right. they've gotten their ticket. Other And sometimes it was like, no, we're going to, you know, have to think it over. I'll you know, bring you in for a secondary interview. And But people would come back and in the absence of information, we were just feeding on whatever possible signals there might be so that like the ones who were going in next could try and you know orient the story they're telling right oh it was it was so <laughs> it was so tense and like you come out of it just like feeling like oh my goodness like yeah for the for the people who are trying to navigate these these really uh opaque or byzantine systems wow. oof wow interesting yeah, yeah but I, th- I mean i think that's that is a good example of of just how powerful the storytelling can be like i can i can feel the empathy that was like surely evoked after playing that game just like hearing you describe it so that's crazy yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see sort of how these how these things develop um i think we're we're pretty much running out of time but but unless you have you have any other story you want to give us i mean that's really interesting or some games we should check out yeah what 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 should people check out if people are sort of new to this world i mean we've mentioned a bunch of games in here during this discussion but but for folks who are interested in sort of you know exploring this world so uh, if you're curious, especially on the storytelling game side, because I think we've mentioned plenty of great board games to yeah. start. Yeah. So with storytelling games, I think the key is picking the genre that you're going to get really excited about mm-hmm. so that you can just pull on all those tropes, those, those references to scenes that you've seen in movies. And uh, there's just there's so many great games out there depending on the, the type of, of genre. And I would just sort of Google like what RPG will give me a great horror experience or right. action experience or romantic experience. Are, um, there, are there romantic comedy storytelling games? Oh, yeah. So I, I just... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, so like I, meet, meet cute for... You know. <laughs> there, there's surprisingly a bunch of them. Um, I just came back from a conference called Metatopia, mm-hmm. uh, which is all about playtesting and helping designers refine their games. Right. Wonderful content, uh, conference. But I tested this game called... Uh, Passion de Passiones, mm-hmm. um, which emulates telenovelas and like especially the romance <laughs> side of it, and it's wonderful. And uh, I would I'd highly recommend that if you if you love the genre and want to try a storytelling game, it's it's super well designed. The mechanics really reinforce the the tropes. Right. And right. so so for example, as a player, you're rewarded if you get the other players who are not in a given scene with you to react it like the audience would at home. So for example, if you're playing like the, um, the either naive or awkward uh, girl who might be the protagonist, you really want people to sort of like cringe at the awkwardness or, you know, go, Oh, poor baby. And then you get points. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Okay. 
Yeah. So so basically, yeah, figuring out the 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 area that you want, and and uh, there's always like like board game geeks, right? Is the the website that tends to have you know details on all the different games that are out there, and yeah, and there's a companion site, RPG Geek, which has uh, okay. tons of information on RPGs. On the RPG side. But I also encourage there's so many free like one or two page PDFs out there that can get you started, uh, or and some of them some of them are just the system. So Hackers yep. and Hustlers for like I, I the game I designed um, is very very rules like. Yeah. Pitch, pitch. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. So the one, the game probably most relevant to, to this audience is Hackers and Hustlers. The the pitch is that you are in San Francisco in the very near future. You are roommates and coworkers. Your uh, the founders of your startup have gone to Burning Man and decided not to return. And and malicious forces are at work. Uh, you you have one stat, which is your hacking slash hustling. So the higher it is, the better you are at hacking. The lower, the better you are at hustling. Okay. Um, and then the the person who's running the story, who's you sort don't of have the third one, the hipster. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll make an add-on for it. Yeah, that's... A... <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so then, and then there's, like, a small table of possible, you know, malicious forces or opportunities. So it could be that there's a, a USB full of Bitcoin that's gone missing or, you know, whatever <laughs> it might be. Uh, but there there are games of that style for a bunch of genres. It's actually remixing a game called uh, Lasers and Feelings by John Harper. And um, and it's one of the beautiful things about the indie side of the, the storytelling game space is a lot of people are releasing under Creative Commons licenses. Right. That's great. Yeah. Everything's a remix. It's all... Yep. Huge on open culture, and, yeah. and and for somebody who's thinking about like, oh, I really want to play this game, but it doesn't exist. Nobody's made it yet. Start by hacking something. Choose a game that's sort of close to the type of story you want to tell, and then just start start noodling on the mechanics that help align the the genre that you want to want to portray. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's yeah. really good. It feels like there should be like a, a a game kind of wizard. You kind of tick the boxes of the dynamics you win in the game, and it kind of like. Yeah. No, I I looked. I mean, I because you know this is how I got in touch with you in the first place, which was you know I, I had this idea for for a game that I was working on for a while, and yeah. and and honestly, I, it started with I just wanted like a compendium of gaming mechanisms to sort of think about like what could I sort of play with, and and I've played you know a, a small number of games, and there are certain mechanisms that I like and I've I found effective. But I was like, there's got to be a whole bunch more because I don't play yeah. that many games. Yeah. And I would love to have like a, a you know a set, and it didn't seem to exist. Yeah. A game to make games. <laughs> a game to make games. Yeah. Yeah. There there isn't that great pattern library you could turn to and say, right. okay, cool. I'll take uh, this mechanic and this mechanic. I'll remix that mechanic over there. It just uh, hopefully uh, that's created soon. Maybe yeah, one of, yeah. Maybe one of us will have to create it. Yeah. No, yeah. it's like tempting to be like, well, that that would be kind of a fun do I, project. Do I actually, feel Kickstarter coming. <laughs> out? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, we'll see. Anyways, um, this is a really great discussion. It's really interesting to to talk about these things and and think about these these things and uh, and uh, you know if if you're n- if you are interested in this world, obviously check out uh, Randy's stuff. Uh, what's the website? Di- Diegetic so Games. Diegetic Games. Uh, D i e g e t i c. Uh, games. Um, you can also just Google Randy Lubin Games, and it'll come up. And uh, and I just launched a, a Patreon too. So if you like what you see, I'm I'm trying to release all my digital games online for free eventually. But uh, if you want to be part of the design process and playtest and get feedback, I would I'd love your support and advice. Yeah, yeah. So cool, excellent. Check that out, um, and check out some of these games, and and let us know if you know if you found some cool ones or what you're doing, and and uh, how it might impact uh, storytelling as well. All right. So uh, thanks, you guys, and thanks everyone who's listening, and we'll be back next week. Uh,